G'day listeners, welcome to the Braintainment Podcast. This show is an interesting mix between pop culture and personal development with a very wide range of guests that come on the show for a chat from the sports space, philosophy, health and fitness, entertainment and everything in between. The idea is to entertain or to educate you guys and hopefully sometimes both, either through just myself or with the guests that come on the show as we explore different ideas and concepts and have some really interesting conversations. The mission with the Brain Taming Podcast is to raise a million dollars, and that all starts with uh, building an audience and a platform, so thank you for tuning in. Our goal is to raise a million dollars towards brain injury recovery and research, so if you enjoy the show, please share it with your friends and family, and be sure to subscribe. With that said, strap in and enjoy this episode. Okay, welcome back to the show. Today we're chatting all things baseball, funnily enough. Uh, And look, any chance, I've said this before, but any chance I get to talk sports, I will take. Uh, But we are really going to dive into the highlights and challenges that come with professional sports, the lessons learned along the way, how they apply to life outside of sport, of course. And uh, we're also going to explore some ideas around the world of mental health, something both myself and my guest today um, are quite passionate about, as we're joined by Brad Harmon, Australian former professional baseballer, uh, playing in the Major Leagues, Major League Baseball for the Philadelphia Phillies. So a big welcome to you, mate, and thanks for joining me for a chat today, Brad. Liam, thanks for having me on, mate. Really appreciate it. To kick things off... uh, Let's talk about your origin story. So I'm a big sports guy, like I touched on there. Um, but I must say, mate, growing up, it was all about footy, cricket, and tennis for me. So for you, um, how did all how did the baseball journey start? Yeah, I mean, I was born into it, basically. So dad played, coached, um, everything within baseball. So ever since I could walk, I was down at a baseball field, basically, just running around with the other kids that were down uh, at the club. And then it just, it obviously just grew from there. It was a sort of natural progression to start playing. And I think I was playing t-ball at three three years of age. So it um, it all happened from a relatively young age. And then I just fell in love with it. Um and continued and then sort of, you know, skills develop and friendships are made and off you go. You don't want to be anywhere else but the baseball field. Man, I know that feeling well. Um, I know a lot of people listening can probably relate to some capacity, uh, particularly around, you know, their involvement in sport. But let's talk about the process of going from that sort of origin point, I suppose, swinging a bat as a youngster to then ultimately ending up as a professional um, athlete. Uh, I'm sure you could probably riff on it for hours, mate, but what's the snapshot of what that process looks like to go from yeah playing say junior baseball to um essentially being over in the states um playing at the highest level yeah so uh, i mean i guess like many sports you sort of go through the ranks the junior ranks we've got state or rep rep sides and then state sides um and then up to national sort of teams in the junior ranks and basically it's not until the under 18 level that it's it's truly heavily scouted um but you know i grew up sort of playing through all those rep sides, state sides, got cut from a few state sides um, and then just sort of continued to to stick with it until the point that under 18 national championships is where it's heavily scouted um, and that's where, you know, I was fortunate enough to receive a, an offer to go over to America after after my second year of under 18s. So was that the plan the whole time going up, mate? We, we was to essentially carve out a career in baseball? Was that always the dream? Pretty much, yeah. From a very early age, it was basically all I wanted to do. So, you know, it was just kind of, it was almost just following the process. Like, okay, this is where I want to get to. Uh, What do you need to do there? Cool. You got to go play here, do this, play in this rep side, get to this national championship, get scouted, sign a contract. And it was like, you know, I was was very fortunate. A lot of guys had done it before me. So 
Um, it was almost just following the path. Now, th- there's a couple of ways of going. There's a college route or just signing professionally as a 17-year-old free agent, which is what I did. Um, and that was just something that I just always wanted to do. School wasn't my strong suit, so I kind of was happy to bypass that and basically just head head straight over as soon as I could. Yeah, right. So talk me through, mate. Just part of my ignorance here. I'm just going to come from a place of curiosity here. Yeah, so, right. uh, the minors and the majors. Look, mate. I just get. I know those terms from pop culture references more than anything. Yeah. So, just what what are we referring to there? Is it basically the um, like different levels of of professionalism? Like, what are we looking at there between the minors and majors? Well, to put it into probably a little more of a common term that we know we'll we'll speak afl but so afl has got the vfl and then essentially what you're looking at is another six teams below or another five teams below the vfl um that are of sort of equal professionalism in a sense where we're governed by the same team so again football terms uh north melbourne for example um they'll have seven teams within their organization and you'll start at the bottom rung which is rookie ball, and then you'll basically just try and progress each year. You're trying to get to the next level um, right the way through until you get to get to the major league. So it's all under the banner of one organization, and then within the organization, there's in total seven clubs. Yeah, right. So then just one more on, just to set, really set the scene here, one more on the sport itself. Could you give us an example, just let's just stay on that thread of, say, a comparison to the AFL. What's an example of something that would be, so I guess a comparable epic moment to, say, kicking a goal after the siren? What does that look like in baseball? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's a walk-off home run for sure. So that's, right, okay. you know, um, so that's the, you know, being the home team. So the home team bats last of each inning. Um, so that'd be the home team at your home field and you've got a tied ball game, bottom of the ninth, and you hit a home run to go up by one, which means the game's over and you've won. So that's kind of the equivalent, you know, getting that that game-winning hit um, for a pitcher or, uh, sorry, for a hitter. And then obviously we've got the defensive side. So a pitcher coming in and striking out the last guy to, you know, win the game, win the championship, all that sort of stuff. There are a couple of the sort of moments, I guess, within baseball. Mm, okay. So mate, we'll talk about some of the challenges, of course, um, you know, that, that you would have faced along the way in a moment, but uh, what were some of the lessons that you think you took away that were valuable from your time in uh, professional sports, whether it was coming up as a as a teen or into your early 20s? Is there anything that really stood out for you that were important lessons that you took away from your time in sport? Yeah, and I mean, you know, they are endless depending on, you know, which yeah. way you want to go. But, um, you know, a couple for me, like I think particularly as a professional athlete, we're just striving for this idea of perfection. Um, so kind of understanding that really perfection it just doesn't exist. Um, so we need to be really adaptable and just w- willing to um, change and pivot with what we're, what we're sort of dealt with or what we're given to, a, to an extent. So um, understanding that we've got a goal in mind and, and we've got a process of which we want to get there and it's certainly important to have a process. I didn't always have that. Um, so the process is obviously another lesson, but just the ability to, to be adaptable and pivot I think is probably one of the critical ones that now I reflect back on and um, is a real sticking point for me. Mate, that is huge. And uh, mate, I don't know if you've, I was just speaking off air about some of the episodes you might have listened to from this show, but something that I talk about a lot um, is this idea of humans being the ultimate adaptation machine. It's essentially making us the apex predator. I think Darwin, Charles Darwin, actually said it's not the strongest um, or the most intelligent of the species that survives. It's the most adaptive to change. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. And there's a whole, a whole range of ways you can interpret that. But for me, mate, it's the, the real power in being a human is our ability to, to adapt. So it's interesting to, to hear you kind of reflect on your time there and go, okay, that is a real sticking point to if, if you can adapt quickly and almost to, to, to some extent I find dispassionately and not get bogged down in the emotion of it at times. Um, it can service really, really well. But obviously there's a lot of nuance to it, which you know, we'll unpack in this chat today. Mm. Yeah, no, for for sure. And I mean, directly, I mean, look at the state we're in, you know, right now with business and just the ability to adapt and pivot. I mean, it's critical for survival. So um, same as all sport. I mean, you know, baseball, but cricket, you go out there and you're playing the exact same sport, but weather conditions are going to determine the the game sense, uh, same as footy. And so just the ability to adapt to your conditions makes it a whole new ball game. And it's those that are adapting fastest that are, you know, the strongest and will survive. Yeah, mate, it really is. Um, all right, so for you, what you ultimately end up becoming part of a professional organization, and that would have been pretty exciting, I imagine. Mm-hmm. What was what was that experience like on the whole? And was there anything that I guess surprised you um, about being a part of such a big club in the Philadelphia Phillies? Yeah, I, I think it's surprising just how big it is. Like you, you know, you sort of come from being that um, big fish, small pond, and then you get you know lumped over there, and you just realize you are a tadpole. Um, so, you know, realizing like showing up to spring training, as I mentioned before, there's six teams below the major league club. So we're all in the one clubhouse for the first day of spring training. You're sitting around looking at 170 guys in the same uniform that you're in and realizing that you're fighting for X amount of positions. Um, you know, it's a pretty daunting thing to sort of realize, geez, I'm actually maybe maybe I'm not as good as I thought I was. And I, <laughs> I probably should just check myself and, and start to go back. All right, I better work hard again here, which was inevitable. But um, just understanding how big these organizations are, which it's a challenge. It's a challenge for, you know, the owners and the, the directors of these general managers um, to implement the strategies and the process to allow their players to become the best that they can become. Um, and that's a really important part of it. But I think just the sheer size is probably one of the more shocking things. So if you're looking at a whole bunch of blokes, like I said, all fighting for the for a spot essentially, is there still, um, I guess, what's the culture like? Is there still a sense of camaraderie? Um, is it you know is it overly competitive? What was the culture like? Yeah, and that's a it's the really challenging one. So I mean, I grappled a lot with that because you, you create friendships and bonds and you connect with your teammates and you know you you want nothing but the best for them. But at the same time, ever since I was three, I had a goal of playing in the major league. So that that's kind of first and foremost in that that sense and just that drive and the ambition and the competitive nature that um, we each possess, which is why we're there. You know, we, we all had to work extremely hard to get there and we had the goal and the passion. So trying to um, juggle those sort of two is is really challenging um, yeah. because at the end of the day, you're trying to get to the major leagues and you're going to have to pass a lot of your mates along the way and leave them behind essentially. There's not too many cases where, especially in Major League Baseball, you get to go up with a good buddy of yours, go right the way through and end up having a glorious career together where you're um, just sharing all these experiences. For the most part, one of your buddies is going to left behind, getting left behind, if not both of you. Yeah. Is it a cutthroat sort of um, environment once you're at that level though? Like. Uh- the, the powers that be, I suppose, the decision makers, whether it's the, you know, the, the getting selected for game day or, you know, going through the draft process, um, is it pretty sort of unemotional and, and very um, kind of cutthroat or is it, is there, uh, what's the welfare like, I yeah. suppose, in, within these organizations? It's ruthless. Mm, ruthless. Okay. Like, so 
every year there's the the college, the NCAA draft, right? So you're looking at 35 to 45 players that are going to get drafted by your club. So every club gets to draft. I think it was like up to 50. It might have changed now. Um, so 35 to, to 45 odd guys coming in every year. Now that means simple math, 35 or 45 have to go every year yeah. out of that 160 odd, you know? So it's, it's ruthless. It's, the cream will rise, and um, if you're not there, you're, you're out the door very quickly. A lot of guys are over for one year, two years, and and that's it. They're just gone, and, and see you later. Yeah, well, so I imagine you'd, it'd be tough because I imagine mindset and your psychology really plays a part in this. Then, particularly if you get to a crossroads like that, and you're you know you're not one of the fortunate ones to to kind of go through to the next level of of success, unless you're kind of already well equipped psychologically. Then I can imagine a prove pretty troublesome you know for some blokes and i know you've got your own story to share which we'll touch on in a sec but yeah what, what kind of role does mindset play not just in your um kind of road to be a successful athlete but then also being able to deal with the challenges for example such a cutthroat environment yeah it's huge i, I mean there's no eluding the fact that you need to work hard to be successful so that's part of it and that was kind of a little bit of my downfall was just that that's sort of all i thought was required was just to work hard. Um, but we know so much now and the data and the evidence and the research is out on what constitutes mindset, resilience, um, you know, the ability to have a, have a plan, execute, pivot, all these sorts of things. But the mindset of going in and understanding why you're doing what you're doing, the reasons behind it, how you're going to get there, they're all critical in being able to sort of check the process and understand, okay, where am I at and sort of reflect as you're moving through it. And without that, you sort of just wandering aimlessly a little bit, I suppose, which was ended up really being my challenge. Mate, I can relate to that. I know a lot of people listening can in any arena of life is that idea of just wandering aimlessly. I find that mm. like, you know, this idea that it's such a such a cliche quote, but it adds a lot of power. And that's this idea that, well, clarity is power. And I, I, not having clarity, um, mate, it's pretty hard to get from A to B if you don't know where B is. Well, yeah, uh, it is. I mean? And the mind's racing a million miles an hour and, and it's all, you know, how do I get this? How do I get that? And we just don't stop and take a breath. But a lot of it, you know, it just comes down to knowledge and education, doesn't it? I mean, we're all sort of learning now and, and what will help and how we can progress and move forward. And without that education, like it's it's clearly not your fault. You just didn't know. You didn't have the knowledge. So, you know, the education around it all is obviously paramount. And then how to, I guess, feeling safe enough to execute it because that, that's sort of the next level to it all is is having the support and guidance and the safety to say, hey, you know, you can, let's pause for a minute and just reflect and, and get that clarity. Yeah, that's interesting, actually, Brad, is that idea of like knowing is one thing, but then executing is another. Mm. Um and I find a lot of people know the right things to do, whether it's sports or anything in life. They sort of know, um, this is myself included, we sort of know instinctively at times what the right thing to do is or the right thing to say or the right decision to make, but we don't always execute accordingly. Um, and it's an interesting one as to why. There's a whole host of reasons, I'm sure, but uh, I find that, that that there is the opportunity for us all is to, is to take what we know and I guess have the courage to some extent to kind of start executing and then take a kind of a an approach of being a learner um, and building your self-esteem around just learning and adapting as we go. Hmm. Oh, 100%. And there's, you know, a couple of obviously good quotes that we sort of like to attach to, but if we're not growing, we're dying. And, you know, it's a big one where it's just taking that learning uh, mindset into into everything we do. And, and we can touch on this um, 
down the conversation, but the idea that we we know what the right thing to do is, yet we we continue to make this choice, and it's there for a reason. We're trying to scratch an itch, and we're trying to get that feeling that once gave us a positive vibe, or probably more so, kept us safe. Um, and it's just sort of identifying what that is, and then learning that that's not the current situation, and I have the safety to choose differently is quite important as well. Yeah, that awareness is massive. Um, mate, we're going to unpack heaps here. I'm excited. Firstly, though, <laughs> from, your, from your time in baseball, uh, any sort of highlights or memories that stand out from your career? Uh, I mean, look, playing in the major leagues was the ultimate. Um, I, I really wish that I had the opportunity to play in an Olympic Games. It was always sort of second behind playing in the big leagues. Unfortunately, that wasn't able to come to fruition. But um, still, every time I got the chance to represent Australia was – just a huge honour. I uh, got to play at four World Baseball Classics, which is a, a massive Major League Baseball run showcase, best in the world. Um, it's, it's bigger than the Olympics because it's got the best of the best. Um, so playing in four of those was obviously a, a massive highlight. And then something that I sort of reflect on, but 2011-12 playing for the Melbourne Aces in the Australian Baseball League and losing a championship to the Perth Heat. Best of three game series, they got us in the first game. The second game we won um, in like the 13th inning. It went four extra innings. And then in the third game, they got us in 15 innings. But this three days of just unbelievable battle, close games back and forth. And I, it's strange to look back on a loss with such fondness, but it was just one of the best battles I ever had. And it, that sort of that probably now is upon reflection and a lot of the work I'm doing around this sort of stuff. But the, that was kind of what I miss the most is just those really tense type battles that got the nerves going and it was, it was make or break. And so I look back on that loss, that series loss and as devastating as it was, it was just, that was so much fun to be a part of. So uh, that's definitely something that I look back on with great sort of joy and pride and just going, that was just a really cool experience. Yeah, I can just imagine it as you're describing it, mate. I'm smiling. I'm, my heart rate's increasing a little bit. I, that uh, that feeling of competition, it's, uh, mm. it's it's true in all of us. Well, some more than others, but um, I, can, I, can Im- I can imagine what it would be like. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm sure there's a whole host of, of highlights um, that you can continue to reel off, mate, from a, you know, from your career. But as you well know, you know, it's it's not always the case that it is entirely glamorous. There's always some challenges that um, that come with with it, with all our journeys, really. Particularly when you're chasing something as you know, uh, or challenging, I suppose, as a professional career in sports. Um, so for you, mate, you, you go on to write an article that I read I read recently. I found really interesting, and that's ultimately how we ended up connecting. And yeah. why I wanted to get you onto the show was to talk sports, like I joked on at the start, but then also kind of unpack some ideas around psychology and mental health. And I know you've got some um, perspectives around that. And I just found that really interesting. So talk us through that article that you put together. Was there a particular reason you wanted to kind of get your thoughts on paper there? Yeah, and it certainly wasn't to share it, but um, it's sort of <laughs> the, the start was that's just sort of what I'm doing now in, in learning to unpack, kind of like what we we're just talking about, learning to unpack, well, why am I making the decisions in my life today and, and where's that coming from? So, you know, I've been learning a lot. Uh, one of the guys in particular that I listen to a heap is Maston Kip, um, who's over in the States, but he's a sort of trauma-based um I don't know what you'd call him. He calls himself an NMD, which is a non-medical doctor because he's got no qualification. But yeah. the the point is he I, f- I found him very relatable and I found it very um, just real and that was sort of what I was looking for. I didn't, I 
I kind of realized after my journey that there's just no quick fixes to to this sort of stuff. So um, I went through the the process of going through the book and as part of the book, it, it's there's a lot of journaling. Um, there's certainly a lot of mindfulness and meditation, but it's just a lot of curiosity and journaling and writing down experiences, what we felt during that time, what were the behaviors then, how is that coming back today? Uh, and obviously looking further back into childhood and, and understanding the decisions that are made today, they're they're kind of there or they're being made for a reason and it's sort of based around the nervous system and um, those automatic responses. So just trying to identify and just be curious about what's happening without judgment, without criticizing and and then work backwards and piece it together and allow yourself to just see it, you know, see it in clarity and then get a good understanding of why and then you can sort of move forward and understand I can make different choices and I'm only doing this now because of that type situation. Yeah, I love that you said come from a place of curiosity. That's probably my favorite word at the moment. <laughs> is mm. I think it just kind of encapsulates the right approach. Is to is to come from a place of um, right, not just trying to tick a box, which I think people fall victim to sometimes. Is is just ticking a box, um, desperate to kind of ease some emotional turmoil or whatever it might be. But yeah, I think just playing, coming from a place of curiosity um, and actually observing, and obviously that's you know that's massive practice in mindfulness. Uh, but this idea of just being curious, it, it goes a long way, and um, I find it adds a lot of weight to help explain, I suppose, certainly my journey, and it sounds like for yourself as well. Um, and then also adding in that element of science. You touched on the nervous system there and understanding why it is we do what we do and kind of it, I find it just makes it a lot easier to not – and this, I don't want to take the conversation too much into the realm of, of, of woo-woo, but right. it, it's this idea of um, it gives us um, an understanding of what's actually happening and why, I suppose. And then with, with that, you're armed with information to kind of tailor your approach, if that kind of makes sense. A hundred percent. And that's the, you know, we, we sort of always heard that knowledge is power, but it's more knowledge is an opportunity. And it's just, it's learning more. Uh, and as you say, I mean, just the curiosity, judgment's a huge part of it. And we'll touch, you know, more on that, but just to be able to observe and just be curious, you know, um, without putting your, your thoughts down or yourself down in the process. It's just, it's the only way you can, um, again, what you touched on before, remove the emotion from it and just have a look at things and just sort of get perspective on what's going on. But you're right, 100%. Mate, you reference uh, in that in the, that journal entry essentially then, we'll refer to it as, <laughs> uh, um, but you reference the constant comparison people often you know, fall victim to, you know, particularly on social media, and, and that'll come as no surprise to, to listeners. But if you actually stop to really think about it, it's, it's pretty crazy. So, um, and like for me, mate, that that really hit home as well because it's something that I've become really aware of um, in today's society. I suppose is this constant comparison, and it serves no real purpose. You know, it, um, do you think that's still a big problem in uh, in our world today, and, and holding people back, not just from their happiness, but perhaps paradoxically, actually getting better and advancing in whatever it is that they want to accomplish? A hundred percent. It's massive, you know, and it's a, it's obviously a strange time. I mean, if we thought, you know, I thought it was a pretty tough environment to go through professional sport when I did, but I can't imagine going through it now with the, the social media and growing up with that in that era, um, being a 14, 15 year old on, on Facebook and Instagram and the data is pretty clear about what it does to, to mental health. So, um, you know, it's a huge part of it. And you touched on there, we, again, coming back to that, it serves no real purpose, but 
the curiosity inside me says, well, it is serving a purpose, but is that purpose something that you really want to be living? And that that judgment, judging others, we might be bullying, we might be making a comment, we might be um, doing all these sorts of things. And there's a pretty good chance that you're doing that because you've had that done to you in the past. And so you're trying to express that, express your hurt on onto others. So it's serving a purpose in that sense, but I guarantee if we sit down and try and understand the values and how you want to live your life, that's really not in alignment and it's just having the the awareness enough to recognize that, which it's got to be tough for a 16-year-old to do that. But in saying that, we're still 30, 35, 40, 45 still doing it. So it's tough at any age to to realize that and that's why going through this this journey for myself and for a lot of people that it doesn't matter what stage in life you're at, it's just a really difficult thing to try and navigate. And knowledge, uh, again, just coming back to it, is just an opportunity for you to learn and grow and get things in alignment in your own life. Yeah, definitely. I like how you say, um, you know, it is a journey and it really is because I find, you know, when you, we're trying to improve anything, you got to, I suppose you got to factor in the idea that we have conditioned ourselves up until this to this day, like our skill set is a direct result of the work we've put in just as our, and this is my my opinion anyway, and feel free to interpret this and sort of share your thoughts, but um, our emotional state to an extent is in large part just how we've conditioned ourselves as well, right? This idea that neurons, you know, <laughs> that wire together, sorry, that fire together, wire together, um, it makes you realize then that if there is some hurt or some pain or something that you want to shift or change, it isn't an overnight um, fix. Like it is, it is a journey because we're essentially – Conditioning, conditioning ourselves, and, in, and and some of these things have you know been conditioned over years and years. So to unpack that and sort of change direction of whether it's yeah an emotional state or your values, it's important to recognise. I find that it's not going to happen overnight. Well, and you're absolutely right. And same as sport, same as everything. You know, nothing's a quick fix. And and the same with getting into that. Um, negative state you didn't say something once to yourself and then all of a sudden you took on that persona and that's how you started to act as a, as a lifestyle choice that you you were living that over a series of you know days weeks months in order for that to become your new norm so it's the same thing with sort of getting out of it you know we've got these learned responses and we've got you know environments obviously huge and the whole you're the average of the five people closest to you and i, I really strongly believe that um but your ability to get yourself back on track and in a lot, it does take time. It's a process and we hear different things, 30, 60, 90 days to build a habit, but it's far longer than that to create a new lifestyle. So just being aware of that, the fact that it really is a long journey and it takes time um, is obviously critical. Do you think, I was just thinking, mate, is there an opportunity, I'm, well, I'm thinking I know the answer to this, but is there a pretty big opportunity to have these sort of conversations we're having now in a professional sports organisation? I, I don't know what takes place now in, you know, in the different codes, but um, I can't imagine, you know, it's as rife as it should be. Oh, 100%. And I think it's hugely important that people are having these conversations and um, really diving deep into what, you know, fuels you as an individual. I mean, playing... We'll touch on this a little bit later, but just your purpose and, you know, your identity as an athlete and kind of understanding what that means um, and getting deep into the psyche. You don't need to deep dive on everyone, but just understanding that these sorts of things and the fact that it's a journey and and who are you trying to be and what are you trying to live of a daily basis, they're they're critical to be having. Look at the documentaries that we've seen on the EPL soccer players and within three years, how many are broke? How does that happen? You know, these guys go from 
living their dreams, making all this money, and then all of a sudden it's gone. That doesn't happen if you're fulfilled and happy. You know, it just it, it doesn't happen. So these conversations would be, I, I think, are critical within the current professional sporting landscape and obviously before it, but again, it continues after it as well to, to give support and guidance to those on the other side that don't have the knowledge or don't have the the uh, the know-how to implement and, you know, follow it through. Mm. Yeah, when you were talking about the nervous system in that um, in that piece I was reading and being in fight or flight, I thought that was really interesting too. I talk about that a lot. I was like, fuck yes, this guy is on my kind of level. <laughs> um, so what are we referring to there and how has that um, served you? Particularly, I think you are talking about being uh, or that biological response to perceiving threats and our yeah. body's tendency to essentially then, you know, look for it. Um yeah, how did? What are your thoughts around that, and how have you applied what you've learned to your life now? Yeah, so again, and I'm not a, I'm not an expert, but I listen a lot. Hey, maybe. A lot. <laughs> um, it's nice, it's nice to think out loud. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's interesting. the The stuff that I've been reading and learning. I mean, the biggest thing now is what they're learning is. Um, there's actually 10 times more information going from the body to the brain than there is the brain to the body. Um, and what that means is when we get into a, a situation where we might be triggered through a response, and again, you referenced the the learned response before in the environment. So that's that trigger, that's happening basically before you realize what's going on, and that's that perceived threat. And that's coming from a place that at one time there was a very similar incident and you were unsafe in that environment. Um, but all the all the messages within the body far outweigh the brain. And that's why, depending on, without going too philosophical, um, and as I say, I'm not, a, I'm not a psychologist or anything, but that's why it's really difficult to, to watch uh, a motivational video and then change your life because it's, you're not just going to do it with the brain down thoughts. There's a lot of stuff going on in the body, you know, so depending on your nutrition, depending on how well you function, you know, are you tight? Uh, are you stressed? Have you got poor nutrition? <clears throat> Excuse me. We talk about uh, leaky gut. We talk about all these things that go back up to the brain and your thought is trying to overpower 10 times the information. So it's a real challenge to try and think brain down. Um, so with that in mind, that's all the nervous system, just sending all these uh, all these neurons and, and giving the information up to the brain that you got to go. And so trying to understand that that's not the current situation we're in. I, I appreciate you for, for giving me the heads up that we're in danger, that we need to fight, we need to flee, whatever the case is. That comes back to that curiosity and awareness and just knowing the body really well. Um, and that, that's not easy. And I, I'm far from mastering that myself. But just the curiosity about, okay, what's happening here? This is interesting. Where am I feeling that? Why is that going on? And the more we do it, I've heard you talk about meditation and which I do myself, and it's just a muscle, and we just have to keep putting it under resistance and keep building it and doing the reps and trying to look at it with this curiosity to understand, I'm in fight or flight, what's happening, where am I feeling it, and then we can move forward from there using that part of our brain that's a little bit more logical because we lose our IQ when we're under stress, which we know. So um, learning to navigate, learning to just see it for what it is and then make that that uh, unjudgmental decision on, okay, I'm still going to be courageous. I'm still going to move forward because I know that that's just my my emotions and my triggered response based on past experiences. Yeah, look, meditation for me um, 
is is very much about that. It's about training my body, and it's it, it's super fascinating hearing you talk about the the body brain connection and the ten x um, information going from the body to the brain. It almost, and I wonder if people listening can relate. But without digressing too much, my own story, but. I I find that I have over the you know over the years really struggled with anxiety um, and almost always it's not there's no particular reason like it just feels very bio, uh, very physiological um, and I'm sure we, you know I'm sure we can unpack that and I'm, on my own journey but yeah I find that meditation and mindfulness practice is very much training my nervous system and my body. Um, to not be in that fight or flight and because knowing, just thinking isn't always enough. So actually having some context as to why that might be is actually quite fascinating. Yeah, yeah, it is. And, I mean, again, the mindfulness and meditation practice, as fantastic as it is, it's a tool, you know, and it's not um, the key. Yeah, there's there's many, many different things that we are trying to implement into our lives to to live that happy, fulfilling life. It's a unbelievable tool but you do i mean i meditate this morning and then all of a sudden just this huge smile the sun was out you know 7 a.m and what it does for you to just be right here right now instead of worrying about yesterday or what's going to happen later on it's huge and the, the data is pretty clear now on the benefits mate uh i reckon we can talk for hours <laughs> um so okay so you ultimately you ultimately wrap up your career um which I'll let you share a bit on, uh, a bit more on. Sorry, but what impact did that have on you? And I suppose was it was a bit of sweet. Did you feel like did you feel like you'd run your legs and done everything you wanted to, or did you feel like your career was cut short? Um, what sort of what was that experience like, and how much did that ending of your baseball career uh, affect your identity? Yeah, so I probably hung on a little bit too long, to be honest. I, I'd sort of lost the drive and the and the passion and it just became really frustrating for me because I wasn't performing at the level that I wanted to perform. So, um, And it's challenging. I mean, we're playing in the Australian Baseball League, so we're playing Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night, and then Sunday, and then every second week's interstate. Now I'm trying to do that, working a full-time job, um at that stage we just had the one child we've got two now but you know had a little boy at home so my wife's trying to juggle those challenges almost raising the little fella on her own because I'd get home Monday night after work and I was just wrecked um you know so it was time to to rest and recover so it was only a couple nights a week that we kind of got to see each other and that's only for a short period of the year the season only went for a few months um but I did that for the last couple years and I, I enjoyed it but it just I wasn't training to the level that I really needed to. So um, I probably realistically stayed in a little bit too long. I just wanted to get to one more World Baseball Classic just because it was so much fun and just the the camaraderie of the group. And it's almost like playing in the major leagues with your Australian teammates, which is just an unbelievable experience. Um, and then moving on from that, it the, we talk about the term a lot, losing your identity as a, as a professional athlete. And I, I really do understand the sentiment, but I think at the end of the day, I don't think um, – for me, it just comes down to living your purpose and finding your purpose and your why. And, I mean, for an athlete, playing your sport's not your purpose in life. And I think anything with a shelf life can't be your purpose. So the challenge is then probably you've had something to occupy you for that period of time, which um, – was really beneficial and you were able to do some really cool things. I, I loved my, you know, my journey and I experienced some amazing stuff, but 
then it was time to find my purpose more so than my identity. They're, they're very much hand in hand and I'm splitting hairs, I realize. But um, I think understanding that, yeah, your sport's not your purpose uh, and there's there's just things far greater. Like you're going to experience some amazing things along the way and you're going to experience some challenge and that's all well and good. So the, it, it was challenging afterwards and, and I'm still in it, you know, I'm still um, – trying to execute on on my purpose which is doing a lot of what I'm doing right now and what we're doing and having these sorts of discussions I think that's certainly the area of life that I want to take um, take my career and just help others and continue to learn and grow myself so it was challenging from that perspective yeah for sure yeah man, it's interesting you say that because I'm very much in the same boat there hence the reason well one of the reasons for this podcast right. one to be able to pick the brains of people like yourself and you know other interesting people but then also Hopefully, um, at least to some extent anyway, add some value, you know, um, and uh, entertain and make people smile and and also, yeah, uh, actually help improve people's lives, dare I say it, um, to some extent anyway. Yeah, and that's what it's all about. Uh, you talk about those last few months in uh, in baseball and the growing anxiety arising um, from some poor performances. And I, th- I thought that was really interesting to dive into. And I think you were saying you felt like it was becoming a bit of a cycle that you were stuck in. Um do you think people actually fall into a similar trap in other areas of life where, you know, their mindset's essentially so preoccupied by their performance, you know, vis-a-vis their process um, or the people they're involved with? Um, and so they're so focused by the performance, which is then uh, dictated by their mindset. It's this cycle of poor performance and a bit of a trap. Is that kind of how you were feeling there is that a fair assessment and um do you think that also applies to other arenas in life yeah 100 percent. so that and that was so that would have been back in 2009 as my last sort of few months as a professional um over with the phillies and it was it was just this but it was this unrealistic expectation that things were going to change that day that night without you know, setting up a process and saying, okay, over the next three weeks, this is what we're going to do. Um, you know, and we play every day. It's a it's a grind um, in the minor leagues, like a 142-game season pretty much in 160 days or something. So it's a, you know, it's a massive grind and every day just thinking that this needs to change today um, and trying to go for that quick fix is, it, it's never really going to end well, is it? And, you know, the translation directly over to, over to business is exactly the same um, or just in well-being and life and all right I've watched the video I've got my meal plan I've got this I'm gonna run tomorrow and it lasts a couple of days and then it ends and again there's reasons why it ends if we're if we're willing to look but it's just that it's it is a little bit of knowledge but the biggest thing is the support and the guidance to to be able to look at it um, in a not judgmental way and just sort of see what's happening why it's happening and identify how to get out of it because it's a vicious cycle to just go you know basically every 24 hours just live it you're living the one day um, day after day <laughs> rather than just creating this this life and living a week it's just this one day overlapping yeah it's a really shit groundhog day yeah, kind it of is. Yeah. yeah for sure. I know for you, you're saying it was it was like that conversation with yourself took the form of, am I holding the bat right? Where's my elbow? Are my legs are my legs in enough? And everything that's obviously relative to your sport at the time. Um, but it, yeah, the same relates in so many different areas. I found, and it's easy to get stuck in like that analysis paralysis, and you know, having a negative impact vis a vis being in that state of flow where it's um, mm. you know you're almost sort of in another universe and everything's just happening more organically and it's and certainly um, far more enjoyable. Yeah, um, 100%. Yeah. Uh, you, you've also t- – you talk about – this is something I've 
have been working on <laughs> myself, but this idea of sharing um, life's moments and experience with with other people, mm. um, with the people with the people closest to you. I know that's really important to you. Was that something that you'd always kind of been attuned to, or something that you just reflecting on in in hindsight, you've become aware of? Like I know, I know for me that I've always been very driven and ambitious, but have kind of just not paid too much attention to, you know, kind of celebrating those moments with other people. Been very, very self-centric, if that makes sense. And yeah, I don't know if that's the right way to go because um, I know some of the more fulfilling experiences, um, you know, whether they're small or grand, have generally featured other people. So, yeah, for you, is that something that you have always been aware of or something you've just reflected on recently? No, it's been a recent reflection and learning and, I mean, the ability to share it. And as I said in that in that piece, you know, I sort of achieve these lifelong goals and do all these things and it's, it's amazing. The sense of achievement and accomplishment is unbelievable. Um, but then I've got no family there. I've got no friends there. I'm on the other side of the world and you kind of reflect and go, geez, it was pretty pretty flat wasn't it it's a little bit empty um to not be able to share those experiences with the the people that helped get you there and the people that you love and um you know connection is the lifeblood and and just the willingness to the willingness to share both in the in the good and the bad is um for me and and what i've learned it's just critical it's critical to growth it's critical to fulfillment um and just the willingness to Again, the, the extension to that is also just on an emotional level and just the willingness to share how you're feeling both in good and bad and it's kind of sharing experiences but it's sharing thoughts, it's sharing emotions, it's connecting, it's, you know, that that term connection encompasses everything. Um, so when you're doing it on your own in isolation and we're seeing that with the current state of particularly Melbourne and just what isolation does and, you know, the it, it makes the bad so much worse and it just, it'll always just take a little bit of gloss off the, off the great things. So, um, yeah, it's, it, it has only been a recent thing. Um, th- there's an element to being a little bit self-centered as a professional athlete. You need to put yourself first a lot with, with training and you need to miss events and you need to do all this stuff to, to keep an alignment with where you're trying to go. So there's an element that you're almost accustomed to. I need to go and do this for my journey. And I think we can probably take on that persona a little bit too much. Um, and, and not focus back on sharing, giving back and just being in that, in that family or the friendship circle and just sharing and having that connection. Yeah, have you found that by doing that, you've actually, and I mean, I'll let, I'll let you share your thoughts on this, but I know from my experience, I've found just by sort of sharing openly and um, coming from a place of curiosity, it actually creates a sense of power. I mean, funnily enough, um, you know, it, it can the idea of sharing and sort of being in tune emotionally and kind of exploring those things can be really passive. Um, but funnily enough, or paradoxically for me, it's, it's almost just created a sense of of power um, and a real sense of strength. So I don't know if that makes any sense, but um, no, yeah, can you relate to that at all? Yeah, it does. And I mean, we're, we're, we're certainly after a sense of certainty in our life, you know, but the, the flip side of that is we need to be okay with the uncertainty, which can be the big challenge. But, you know, creating that certainty, there's a, I love to reflect on um, the TED talk that Brene Brown did. And she spoke about the fact that people often feel that they need to build a really strong relationship and gain someone's trust first before they can be vulnerable. When in actual fact, all of her research and data suggests that you need to be vulnerable and you need to share in order to build that really strong 
relationship and have that trusting relationship. And I think that's a really powerful message um, to understand that we just have to be sharing not only of our experiences, but our thoughts and our emotions. And that's how you really create the connection and create the friendships and the love and, you know, the trust with people. So that's something that I always sort of reflect back on. And I, I just think it's a really powerful statement. Mate, I couldn't agree more. I could not agree more. Um, so you've clearly, you know, you're on a bit of a journey. You've learned a lot along the way. Are there certain daily practices that you adhere to? You sort of touched on meditation there. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are some of the other ingredients, I suppose, that go into, um, from your perspective anyway, what makes a, I guess, a, a calm mind and a fulfilling life? Yeah. So at this stage, currently, I'm just, I've got my meditation, which I'm still just in a guided meditation at this stage. Um, but I've been going for a, a few months and that's, that's an interesting thing to touch on as well. And I hated it at the start as so many people do. And I, but I was kind of like, well, just so many people keep talking about it. And, you know, you listen to, um, just really successful people that are doing what they love to do and they all reflect back on meditation and mindfulness. So I'm sort of sticking with it. And I, and I am starting to see some value in that. Um, also a gratitude journal and and just you know expressing the things that I'm grateful for each day um, I'm fine finding that that's really helpful as well and, and just gives me that positive sense of um, just being content you know and not always striving for these things that um, are sometimes out of reach but always having that goal that's way in the distance just what have I got right here that I can be thankful for and grateful for because if we stop and have a look there's plenty of stuff um, but you just got to take the time to do the exercise and then I'll also just write down something that I tried to do that day that I failed at um, just to sort of understand that you know it, it, it's a journey and we just have to be okay you know we're trying to live I'm trying to live by you know, a set of values and I'm trying to hit certain markers each day, but I'm just going to reflect and go, okay, well, I failed at that and that's okay, you know, tomorrow. Is the idea there, Brad, to essentially reorient your relationship with failure? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. So I like that a lot. Yeah. And it's, it's being, being okay with it, you know, and we're not accepting it saying come at me, but it's just being okay (laughs) with failure because, you know, I wrote in that piece, like we, our greatest growth has to come through our failures because we, as long as we learn the lesson and, you know, oftentimes we, we get the failure and we feel the defeat or we feel the anger, the pain, we express some emotions that aren't serving us. They're just expressing emotions based on that failure, but we're not looking at what's going on there and how we can improve it to move forward. So it is reframing the, um, what failure means to, to me personally and, and just looking at, okay, well, what's the lesson that I can implement to get better tomorrow? Mate, I love it. I reckon, of all the things we've covered, arguably that's one of the best places to start or one of the key focuses is to essentially look at, okay, because <laughs> as you would, I'm sure, attest to, you're going to be hard-pressed to get through life without falling short on something. You know, there's always going to be some sort of failure or setback. So um, if you can condition yourself to be really well-equipped to handle that and adapt like we've kind of touched on as well, mm. um, you're in a pretty good spot to, um, to continue on towards your goals but then also from a place of – actually enjoying it right which should always be the goal is to fucking feel good and actually enjoy your life which i've started to realize since so much you made on a bit of a journey always been ambitious super driven and and still are still have things i want to go after but um mate, mate if it's at the cost of peace of mind or feeling shit half the time then yep not for me and i think i think that's a pretty um fair message to part yeah i'm right there with you 
Mate, I reckon that's uh, pretty good stuff. I want to uh, thank you for your time. Really appreciate you carving out the, uh, the time to connect with me. I'm sure we'll stay connected off air as well. Um, but any final words for people listening, mate, from the stuff that you've kind of been involving yourself with or your lessons from sport? What's sort of the impact, I suppose, that you want to leave with anyone that you try and connect with, whether it's on a podcast like this or just in a conversation? Yeah, it's just the the feeling and just understanding the thing that I really try to pass on to people is, um, you know, we're all going to go through these struggles. Like it's it's just inevitable at some stage. Now, depending on how deep they are, they might not be um, – there might not be massive struggles, but we're all going to struggle. So just realize that you're not you're not unique. You're not weird. You're not on your own. Everyone experiences it, and it's just it's just asking asking for a little bit of assistance and guidance, which is a very scary thing for a lot of people um, to just reach out and ask for some help. So it's just really important to um, speak with your friends, as we you know we all sort of talk about, but just have a look, do some homework. You, there's so much information out there. Podcasts are an amazing resource these days and everyone just um, freely promotes their IP and tries to get the information out there because um, they want to help people first and foremost. So um, just understand that you're not, you know, you're not on your own and, and so many people go through it and there's just some amazing tools now to implement in your life and, and to learn to feel safe whilst implementing is probably the biggest thing. So um yeah, that would be my biggest message is, is just reach out. It's it's all going to be okay. Fantastic, mate. Well, I really like your approach. Very genuine um, and easy to digest. You know, it's it's always good connecting with people like yourself, mate. So, mate, is every, we'll stay connected. There's every chance we'll get you back on the show for another chat. We'll just dive into some more stuff. But for now, mate, I really appreciate you making the time. And um, thanks again, Brad. No, Liam, thanks for having me on, mate. I really appreciate it. Thanks again for listening to this episode. If you did enjoy it, if you got some sort of value from the episode, please do us a favor and subscribe to the channel. We've got lots more to come and share it with your friends and family. It all helps our mission of raising a million dollars towards brain injury recovery and research. So please share the podcast and I look forward to sharing more with you on another episode.